first chapter of the Bible, we're given an account of God creating, creating the universe and the earth and then the animals and the plants and all, everything that went on. And uh, it says there in that chapter, six times he saw that it was good. And it culminates in verse 31 of chapter 1. God saw that he saw all that he had made and it was very good. Have you ever noticed when God does something, he does it really, really well? Some of you may be watching right now the BBC's Blue Planet 2. How many of you have seen that? Most, maybe about half or the other half are missing out. Honestly, it is absolutely outstanding. One of the most watched shows this year, and it took four years to make, involved 125 expeditions in 39 countries, 6,000 hours diving, and has brought us some absolutely staggering footage of life under the sea. As I've watched it, I've been reminded again and again that God's creativity is extraordinary. In another decade or two, they'll invent things that can dive deeper and they'll find more extraordinary animals and fish and so on that no human in the history of the world has ever seen. And God's, his just creativity goes on and on and on and he does things extremely well. Today's the final talk in this series I've been doing on hallmarks, looking at the kind of church that we believe that God has called us to build. And all of the Trent hallmarks communicate something of the character of God. Through studying his creation and knowing him more through the person of Jesus, we see that God exemplifies these hallmarks in ways far beyond anything we could emulate. He is utterly outward-looking, totally servant-hearted, extraordinarily compassionate, extravagantly, lavishly generous, and everything he does, he does well. And his encouragement to us as a church is to be like him, to model ourselves on him, and to represent all of those characteristics to the world. Doing things well is one of the ways that we can be like him, and it's what I want to look at with you this evening. So we're going to look at the story of a man, some of you may not have heard of him, he's not a well-known biblical character. His name is Bezalel, and his story can be found uh, near the end of the book of uh, Exodus, the second book in the Bible. To give you a little bit of background, Moses has... Uh, well, God has liberated the, his people, the Hebrews, from slavery in Egypt, and now led by Moses, they're out in the wilderness. And the Lord calls Moses to go up this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he spends over a month there. And during that time, the Lord spoke to him about a whole range of things, including the building of a certain tent called the tabernacle, otherwise known as the tent of meeting, where God's presence presence among his people was to be focused. The word tabernacle means dwelling place, and it was this temporary temple in the form of a tent where the people came together to worship, to offer sacrifices while they were in the desert. There were between, it's estimated, one million and three million Israelites at that point that Moses was leading. They would come together, right at the center was this tent, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was used to house a very special object called the Ark of the Covenant. It was to be the focal point for worship. 
And while up on Mount Sinai, the Lord gave Moses very specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle. In fact, there are several chapters devoted to all the technical requirements. And it's in those chapters that we find the first mention of this guy, Bezalel. So this is Exodus chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Assisted by another guy called Ohaliab, Bezalel oversaw a very large team of craftsmen and women in the building of the tabernacle. Here he is described as a man of wisdom, of knowledge and skills. He was really the ultimate master craftsman among the people at the time. And God identifies him as the man he wants to build this focal point of the entire project, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was really an amazing piece. It started with a chest made out of acacia wood about that long, and uh, that was lined with gold outside and in, and then there were all these decorative moldings around it, gold rings placed on it where poles went through so that priests could carry it, those poles again being covered in gold. And it may have looked something like this. And inside it, we are told that the stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written they were put in the box. Also, there was a gold jar of manna, which was the food that God miraculously provided the people of Israel right through the wanderings for 40 years in the desert. They kept some of it and put it in that jar. And also Aaron's staff uh, that had miraculously budded, that was also put in there. On top of that box was a cover made of pure gold. It had two solid gold angels facing one another with their wings overstretched over the chest. And this lid, it was called the atonement cover, and was described as the place where God was enthroned. His presence, his glory was focused on top of this box. When you mention Ark, some of you think of that building next door that we're turning into a kid's center. We did call it the Ark for a while. Some of you are thinking it's Noah's Ark. I'm a bit confused. So there's more than one Ark, and all these Christians are talking about Arks. It's nothing to do with Noah's Ark. That was a very large boat, okay? This is a very small box. But in case you're thinking, is this the same Ark that Indiana Jones goes on a hunt to find? The answer is yes, it is. Steven Spielberg was evidently fascinated by it, and it was certainly a very special object. But what was the big deal about this gold box? You know, God who made all these incredible, made the universe, made the planets, made everything in Blue Planet 2 and more, he could make anything he wants. Why is he so concerned about an exactly designed box? And why did he choose a man called Bezalel to make it? And more to the point, what does the story of a box have to do with doing things well? I believe that this story reveals something about God. It reveals something about how he chooses to work through us, and how he wants us to do the things that we do here in Nottingham or whichever city we live in today. So firstly, God deserves our best. When instructing Moses on how to build the ark, God said this in Exodus 25, 22. 
there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. He would meet with Moses. Bezalel's job was to craft something where God, the God of the universe, would meet with his people. And if you're going to build a place where God would meet with his people, you want to put your best people on it. So God appointed the man he thought best place to undertake this job. And we see God fulfills his promise when the ark is finished. So we go to Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud filled that tent, just like shining mist or something. You can't imagine what it was like, but like a cloud that was glowing with bright light. What an amazing sight that would have been. And presumably, Bezalel, among the others, was watching and seeing his work transformed by the presence of God. The ark was placed inside what was called the Holy of Holies, a specially sectioned off part of this tent, this tabernacle. And this was such a holy place that no one was allowed in there except one person once a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And uh, they, he would go in there with some blood of an animal and sprinkle it on this mercy seat. And the sins of the people of Israel will be atoned for. And there is a tradition that the priest would wear a rope tied around his waist or his ankle because should he die, no one was going in after him. There's only one person allowed. They would actually have to drag him out using this rope. In later centuries, the tabernacle was replaced by a permanent temple, the temple in Jerusalem. And the Holy of Holies was still part of that temple when Jesus walked the earth. The Bible tells us that as Jesus was crucified, as he was hanging on the cross, this huge curtain that was many inches thick, I understand, separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn, ripped from top to bottom, completely opened, thus opening for all time access to God. It was a profound and miraculous event which proclaimed that we are now under, as we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, a new covenant. We no longer need a symbol like the ark or to go into the Holy of Holies to experience God's presence. Uh, you know, we can have access to the real and tangible presence of God, thankfully, without the need to tie a rope around ourselves. And, you know, I heard a story just tonight about somebody who just experienced a couple of weeks ago, the tangible presence of God in a life-changing way. And my hope is that all of us would experience that in settings like this. The atonement cover was God's throne in the midst of the Israelites, okay? Now, God is on his throne today in heaven. Jesus, our high priest, is at his right side. And when we come to God now, the book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. Really different to them when everyone was terrified to go near it, except the high priest who was still terrified even on the Day of Atonement. Now we can approach the throne of grace, God's throne, with confidence. The presence of God was no longer for particular people at particular times in a particular place, but was for all of us at any time. And we carry the presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit. 
as 1 Corinthians 3.16 reminds us, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? A scripture so wonderfully illustrated by a friend of mine, Charlie Mackesy. We might not be, you see here, you've got people think of a temple. No, that's a building. A temple is us. You know, we might not be building tabernacles with extravagant gold boxes made by the best craftsmen because we are the box. As individuals, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, God's Spirit dwells in our midst. And as such, we want to do everything we do and do it with the same care and attention that Bezalel took because God deserves our best. Everything we do, we want to do well. So the carol services next week uh, are just one illustration of this. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we put time and energy and skill into doing that. Firstly, because we as a church want to celebrate the greatest gift ever given, given in a manner which honors God. And secondly, because as we host hundreds of people who don't know Jesus over the course of those services, we want them to have the best experience we can provide and a great opportunity to hear the good news of the Christian message. Someone I invited said of the carol service he and his wife attended, that was amazing, as good as any production you could pay to experience in the theater. Why shouldn't a church event be as good or better than anything that the world puts on. We do all sorts of events and we do them well. The kids shine party a few weeks ago, the kids mega morning last Saturday, and on and on and on. We, we wanna do everything we do with excellence. Doing, something, doing things well is something that has been part of our vision from the very beginning, and in preparing this talk, I went to my filing cabinet, pulled it out, and found from 1996 the very original notes of my first four talks that some of you will have heard because they're on the website. And I looked back there, and in talking about our values, I talked about doing things well by saying, at the early stage of this church's life, we won't do everything. We were about 40 people at the time. We won't do everything, but what we do, we want to do well. And I illustrated it by recounting something which had happened a few months before that when I'd, I, with a team, had organized just an amazing summer ball down there in London. And a woman called Julie uh, had arranged a whole table's worth of tickets for her work colleagues without mentioning that it was a church event, so that it was a discount if you bought 10 or 12 tickets, and so she brought all her work colleagues along. And her friends were just amazed at the decor of the place, the quality of the food, the quality of the band. They kept commenting on the amazing atmosphere, how people seemed to be really enjoying themselves without being drunk. And you know, people seemed to know each other, and the people just, it was so warm and so exciting and having so much fun. And every time they asked Julie how she knew so many people there and who'd organized this event, she kept saying, I will tell you at midnight. And she kept this up all the way through. Many of them kept asking her, like, who's put this? This is amazing. And at midnight, she told them, it's my church. At which they responded, no way. Their perception of a church party was that it would be badly organized, that it would be dull. Christians don't even know how to have fun. And Julie just enjoyed shattering their misconceptions a church can do things well 
and have a lot of fun in the process. In that talk 21 years ago, I said that if we're going to serve coffee, which we did at that, those first meetings and we have ever since, it's not going to be, as some people might have experienced elsewhere, with a quarter of a teaspoonful of coffee from a five kilogram cash and carry budget chicory diluted tin. Some of you are old enough to know exactly what I mean by that. Others of you, it's gone over your heads, but don't worry, you can Google it probably. And serving that weak cup of coffee with plain old rich tea biscuits. I said, we're not going to do that because we don't believe that represents God. When God does something, he goes way beyond people's expectations. Remember the story of when he fed 5,000 people with a few fish and some little loaves. There were 12 basketfuls of food left over. Remember the time he was at a wedding, they ran out of wine. He created somewhere in the region of another 1,000 bottles of wine, I think I'm right in saying. I think it is. Six jars at how many gallons each times whatever anyway it's an awful lot I think it is a thousand bottles it's something incredible like that just and not only wine but they all commented like well why bring the best stuff out now this just extravagant creativity always doing things well and that's what we want to imitate here so that in everything we do we represent God's amazing generosity his creativity and excellence whether that's an event, a party, a small group, a youth event, healing on the streets, a soup run, whether that's pastoral care, the way we actually look after people in our small groups and so on. We want everything that we do to be to the highest possible standard because we believe that God deserves our best. Second thing to note is that God wants to work through us to make his presence known to others. Let's rejoin the story again in Exodus chapter 40, where the ark is finished, God's made his, made his presence known, and it says there in verse 36, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out, but if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, three million, or between one and three million people, of Israel during all their travels. The ark remained with the Israelites in all of their travels as a symbol of God's presence with them. And when crossing the river Jordan into the promised land, the people were led by the priests carrying that box, the Ark of the Covenant, on their shoulders with the poles as a reminder that God went ahead of them. They didn't send the soldiers first, followed by the worship band. They actually went with the worship band and the priests and the ark right at the head of the people. And for almost a thousand years, Bezalel's creation was with the Israelites and continued to be a reminder to them of God's presence. Just as he used Bezalel's gifts and talents to make his presence known to the Israelites through this box, the Ark of the Covenant, he wants to use us today and the things that we do to make his presence known to others. So we want to think about how we do things so that we can represent just how amazing God is. For instance, to carry on the coffee analogy, when guests come to your home, do you go looking in the cupboard for the cheapest coffee you can find, and then if you've got a few old you know, biscuits, plain ones, 
bring them up. No, you don't do that, do you? You think, I mean, even when we didn't really have real coffee in our homes, we probably did on that occasion get out, you know, a cafetiere or something and make it. And now if you've got a lettissimo machine, it's like, would you like a latte or a cappuccino or do you like an espresso? Can I do you the very best that I've got? And then bring out, you know, home-baked cookies or um, whatever. I like those. Yeah, I won't go into that. <laughs> well, I could actually. I mean, as to Sainsbury's, Tesco's, doesn't matter who they are, but you know those, they're about that big and they're white chocolate and all that. Yeah, you'd bring those out if someone came to your home. And that's the same way here. This is our extended family. And as people, some of you are new first time tonight. We're thrilled that you're with us. We want to host you well. And so I hope as you arrive, someone greeted you and smiled at you, maybe wearing a fluorescent yellow jacket and pointed you and helped you find somewhere to park easily. And then perhaps you were served a nice cup of tea or coffee over there. Maybe you got a bit of a donut or something else. And maybe a Connect member a team member helped you find a seat. You know, even the way we set these chairs out is designed to actually make you feel comfortable, included, welcomed. They're all placed uh, at exactly the same distance from each other so that you've got room for your shoulders. You don't have to like, be squeezed in there. And they're also laid out in this curved shape so that no matter where you sit, there's a good view of the stage. And not a single one of you in this room right now has to turn your head in order to look directly at me. That's because we put the chair, so you wouldn't have to do that. The quality sound system, the clear screens, all make the experience of a worship service here accessible and attractive. We want to create environments where people can experience God's presence. Doing things well doesn't only include what we do here at church, of course. God wants to use all of our gifts to reveal his presence to those around us. We're not all called to be master craftsmen in metal and wood and things like that. For some of us, it may be caring for children, or we work in administration, or fixing everybody's IT problems. And respect to you guys, because I can't fix any of them. But you, know, you may be doing something with budgets. You may be any number of things that may feel somewhat unglamorous. But just as God used Bezalel's gifts of craftsmanship, he wants to use the things that we do in our workplaces, in our universities, in our community, and in church to represent him. It may be that our gifts, our jobs feel quite plain compared to the Ark of the Covenant. But whatever we do, the amazing truth is that thirdly and lastly, God invites us to partner with him. The God of the universe who created all things, who could do anything he wants in ways that we could never really imagine, invited Bezalel to use his gifts so that what God had designed could become a reality. And it wasn't just Bezalel. Exodus 35 from verse 10, just listen to this. All who are skilled, this is Moses speaking, all who are skilled among you, are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtains that shield it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light 
with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway and the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary. And he goes on and on for a number of chapters, all these things that are being made by different people. And they're very varied, you notice. There's someone mixing anointing oil. There's someone making curtains, weaving material. There's someone making tent pegs. They get a mention in the Bible for making the tent pegs. It's awesome. Some people are making ropes. And then in chapter 36 and verse 2, it says this, Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. There was so much to do, so many varied skills needed to make what God had designed a reality. He involved, it says here, every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. God equipped and anointed them to do it, and all that was required of them was to be willing to do the work. There's so much we can do in God's service. He has given each and every one of us gifts and talents, and we're invited to partner with him by putting those skills to good use. I'm reminded by a little phrase reminded of a little phrase which the Apostle Paul used in his letter to the church in Ephesus where he writes this in Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's handiwork and the word used there really is masterpiece the master craftsman of the universe made us human beings we're his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do God has created each of us uniquely. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Then the stars, the planets, the plants, the animals culminated in the creation of humankind. He's given us all sorts of talents and skills and abilities, and he created us to use them to do good works which he prepared in advance for each of us to do. He provides the gifting, we do the work. And we do it to the best of our ability as we express being outward-looking, servant-hearted, compassionate, and generous. Now, in talking about doing things well, I do want to make something very clear. A commitment to doing things well is different to perfectionism. Perfectionism will stifle the life of any church. If people think that they have to do everything just right, then they'll hold back from even trying. They think, well, if I don't do it perfectly, I'm going to get criticized or told off for it. They'll just hold back. We want to be a place where people take risks with things that may not work. We want people who don't always get it right not to be concerned and held back by the fear of getting it wrong. We want to be a place where there's freedom for every person to get involved partnering with God in doing the good works that he has prepared for them to do. And a good little phrase to remember is something that John Wimber, he founded the Vineyard Movement some decades ago, of which we're a part, he once said this, 
If you aren't making mistakes, you're not taking enough risks. We don't want to live within just comfortably what we can do perfectly. That's so limiting, you know, and it's so unempowering to other people. We want to release people into the use of their gifts, empower them to do it, and to take risks and not everything will work. Great, that's called life. That's called the mess of the kingdom uh, in a church. And it's partly because of the allowing of mess that so many creative things have happened, indeed, in the life of this church over the years. So why is doing things well a hallmark of Trent? Because God deserves our best. He wants to use the things that we do to reveal his presence to others. And he will give us everything we need to do that as he invites every one of us to partner with him. I hope this series has been helpful to you in explaining and exploring the five hallmarks, these qualities which describe how we do what we do as a church. If you've missed any, I really would encourage you, they're accessible on the website in video or audio format, as I really would encourage you just to, to listen to what you miss, because together the five paint a full picture, really, of the kind of church that God is building here. These qualities are clearly demonstrated by us as a church and by many individuals within it, and we are so thankful for that. But can I encourage you just to ask the question of yourself, what am I doing to contribute to this hallmark. If any of these is not expressed in our individual lives, first of all, we're missing out personally. And the church is missing out on what God wants you to contribute that only you can contribute to the church being all it can be. And so, outward looking, let's begin with the first hallmark, outward looking. What are you doing to contribute to this church being an outward looking church? And is there anything more you might do? I mean, for instance, one tiny thing of the many things you might do is, have you given one of these to somebody yet? And if not, there's a whole pile of them at the Connect area, a carol service invitation. Just think, is there anybody I know that God has uniquely placed me? You know, I work with them or I'm their neighbor. There's no one else here who works with them or is their neighbor. God has uniquely gifted you to be the one to give them this card and invite them. I'd encourage you to do that. Servant-hearted putting others' needs before my own. Am I serving? Am I serving in an area of ministry organized by the church? If I'm able-bodied, the, the question would be, why not, if you're not? Am I just happy to have others serve me while I enjoy being a passenger on this cruise? And so if you would like to find somewhere to serve, I would strongly encourage you tonight, the, connect, the uh, serving form. You'll find it again at Connect. And uh, I would encourage you to get involved in some area of service. What about compassion? Compassionate. Am I expressing compassion in the way I treat others? And what am I doing to contribute to this being a mark of this church? Generous. You know, we all love to be part of a generous church. But ask yourself this question, am I personally giving financially in a committed way to enable the church to do that? Or again, am I leaving that to others? to pay for everything that happens while I simply enjoy it. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about this hallmark of generosity and there were forms put out on seats, forms like this. Many of you took one home, took one away with you. Not many of them have come back. And so I really would encourage you, if, you, if it's now buried somewhere in your house, 
maybe even you know, this week to unbury it. And if you want to take some action on it, start a standing order, start giving generously and regularly to the work of the church. And doing things well. As we've seen, it takes a lot of people who are committed to using their gifts in the service of God and of others, putting their energy into doing things well for his glory. And so ask yourself the question, what am I doing personally which contributes to the church doing things well? As we conclude this series on the hallmarks of Trent with this last talk, looking at things made out of gold, let me finish with this thought. Any piece of jewelry made out of a precious metal, if it's British made, will typically have five stamps within it which make up the hallmark. Coincidentally, we also identified five marks which together describe the kind of church that we are and make up this hallmark series that was only noticed in the last week or two, particularly focusing you know, on ev how we do everything we do. Outward looking, servant-hearted, compassionate, generous, and doing things well. Now, if you're wearing a gold ring and you were to look inside it, look very carefully, you would see five marks, much like in this picture. Reading right to left, those four marks describe the year it was made, the place it was stamped, the purity of the alloy, and what metal it is, gold, silver, platinum, or whatever. But the hallmark is incomplete without the fifth mark, and it's done with a separate punch. So while the four others are always in a block, they're loaded into a punch and boom, they're stamped, the other one stands slightly alone, often at a slight distance because it's hand stamped using a separate punch. And you know what that is? It is the maker's mark. It tells you who made it. And you can see the parallel here. Whatever marks we are focused on in this series, the most important thing to note is who made Trent Vineyard the church that it is. God. He has called us. He has designed us. He has shaped us. He is the one who has built this little expression of his worldwide church. And as we recall the many stories I've told throughout the series which describe these hallmarks in action, I believe he enjoys seeing us becoming more like him. But let us always remember that this is all because of him. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Thank <laughs> you.